Chapter Twelve of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. With a curious, friendly glow upon me, I set about helping cousin Egbert in the preparation of our evening meal, a work from which, owing to the number and apparent difficulty of my suggestions, he presently withdrew, leaving me in entire charge it is quite true that i have pronounced views as to the preparation and serving of food and i dare say i embarrassed the worthy fellow without at all meaning to do so for too many of his culinary efforts betray the fumbling touch of the amateur and as i worked over the open fire doing the trout to a turn stirring the beans and perfecting the stew with deft touches of seasoning i worded to myself for the first time a most severe indictment against the north american cookery based upon my observations across the continent and my experience as a diner out in red gap i saw that it would never do with us and that it ought as a matter of fact to be uplifted even then while our guest chattered gossip of the town over her brown paper cigarettes i felt the stirring of an impulse to teach americans how to do themselves better at table for the moment of course i was hampered by lack of equipment there was not even a fish slice in the establishment but even so i brewed proper tea and was able to impart to the simple viands a touch of distinction which they had lacked under cousin egbert's all too careless manipulation as i served the repast cousin egbert produced a bottle of the brown american whisky at which we pegged a bit before sitting to table three rousing cheers said he and the mixer responded with happy days as on that former occasion the draught of spirits flooded my being with a vast consciousness of personal worth and of good feeling toward my companions with a true insight i suddenly perceived that one might belong to the great lower middle class in america and still matter in the truest correctest sense of the term as we fell hungrily to the food the mixer did not fail to praise my cooking of the trout and she and cousin egbert were presently lamenting the difficulty of obtaining a well-cooked meal in red gap at this i boldly spoke up declaring that american cookery lacked constructive imagination making only the barest use of its magnificent opportunities following certain beaten and all too familiar roads with a slavish stupidity we nearly had a good restaurant said the mixer a frenchman came and showed us a little flash of form but he only lasted a month because he got homesick he had half the people in town going there for dinner too to get away from their chinamen and after i spent a lot of money fixing the place up for him too i recalled the establishment on the main street though i had not known that our guest was its owner vacant it was now and looking quite as if the bailiffs had been in he couldn't cook ham and eggs proper suggested cousin egbert i tried him three times and every time he'd done something french to him that nobody had ought to do to ham and eggs 
hereupon i ventured to assert that a too intense nationalism would prove the ruin of any chef outside his own country there must be a certain breadth of treatment a blending of the best features of different schools one must know english and french methods and yet be a slave to neither one must even know american cookery and be prepared to adapt its half-dozen or so undoubted excellencies from this i ventured further into a general criticism of the dinners i had eaten at redgap's smartest houses too profuse they were i said and too little satisfying in any one feature too many courses constructed as i had observed after photographs printed in the back pages of women's magazines doubtless they possessed a certain artistic value as sights for the eye but considered as food they were devoid of any meaning bill's right said cousin egbert warmly mrs effie she gets up about nine of them pictures with nuts and grated eggs and scrambled tomatoes all over em and nobody knowing what's what and even when you strike one that tastes good there's only a dab of it and you mustn't ask for any more when i go out to dinner what i want is to have em say pass up your plate mr floud for another piece of the steak and some potatoes and have some more squash and help yourself to the quince jelly that's how it had ought to be but i keep eating these here little plates of cut-up things and waiting for the real stuff and first thing i know i get a spoonful of coffee in something like you put eye medicine into and i know it's all over last time i was out i hid up a dish of these here salted almonds under a fern and ate the whole lot from time to time kind of absent-like <laughs> it helped some but it wasn't dinner same here put in the mixer saturating half a slice of bread in the sauce of the stew i can't afford to act otherwise than like i am a lady at one of them dinners but the minute i'm home i beat it for the ice-box i suppose it's all right to be socially elegant but we hadn't ought to let it contaminate our food none and even at that new york hotel this summer you had to make trouble to get fed proper i wanted strawberry shortcake and what do you reckon they dealt me a thing looking like a marble palace sponge cake and whipped cream with a few wet spots in between well long as we're friends here together i may say that i raised hell until i had the chef himself up and told him exactly what to do biscuit dough baked and prized apart and buttered strawberries with sugar on em in between and on top and plenty of regular cream well after three days trying he finally managed to get simple he just couldn't believe i meant it at first and kept building on the whipped cream and the thing cost eight dollars but you can bet he had me even then the bonehead smarty had sweetened the cream and grated nutmeg into it i give up and if you can't get right food in new york how can you expect to here and jackson the idiot has just fired the only real cook in red gap yes sir he's let the coons go 
it come out that Waterman had sneaked out that suit of his golf clothes that Kate Kenner wore in the minstrel show. So he fired them both. And now I got to support him because as long as we're friends here, I don't mind telling you, I egged the coon on to do it. I saw that she was referring to the black and his wife, whom I had met at the New York camp, though it seemed quaint to me that they should be called coons, which is, I take it, a diminutive for raccoon, a species of ground game to be found in America. Truth to tell, I enjoyed myself immensely at this simple but satisfying meal, feeling myself one with these homely people, and I was sorry when we had finished. That was some little dinner itself, said the mixer, as she rolled a cigarette. And now you boys sit still while I do up the dishes. Nor would she allow either of us to assist her in this work. When she had done, Cousin Egbert proceeded to mix hot toddies from the whiskey, and we gathered about the table before the open fire. Now we'll have a nice home evening, said the mixer, and to my great embarrassment she began at once to speak of myself. A strong man like him has got no business becoming a social butterfly, she remarked to Cousin Egbert. Oh, Bill's all right, insisted the latter, as he had done so many times before. He's all right so far, but let him go on for a year or so, and he won't be a darn bit better than what Jackson is, mark my words. Just a social butterfly wearing funny clothes and attending afternoon affairs well i don't say you ain't right said cousin egbert thoughtfully that's one reason i got him out here where everything is nice what with speaking pieces like an actor i was afraid they'd have him making more kinds of a fool of himself than what jackson does him being a foreigner and his mind kind of running on what clothes a man had ought to wear. Hereupon, so flushed was I with the good feeling of the occasion, I told them straight that I had resolved to quit being Colonel Ruggles of the British Army and associate of the nobility, that I had determined to forget all class distinctions and to become one of themselves, plain, simple, and unpretentious. It is true that I had consumed two of the hot grogs, but my mind was clear enough, and both my companions applauded this resolution. If he can just get his mind off clothes for a bit, he might amount to something, said Cousin Egbert, and it will scarcely be credited, but at the moment I felt actually grateful to him for this admission. We'll think about his case said the mixer, taking her own second toddy. Whereupon the two fell to talking of other things, chiefly of their cattle plantations and the price of beef-stock, which then seemed to be six and one-half, though what this meant I had no notion. Also I gathered that the mixer, at her own cattle farm, had been watching her calves marked with her monogram, though I would never have credited her with so much sentiment. When the retiring hour came, Cousin Egbert and I prepared to take our blankets outside to sleep, but the mixer would have none of this. The last time I slept in here, she remarked, mice was crawling over me all night. So you keep your shack and I'll bed down outside. 
I ain't afraid of mice, understand, but I don't like to feel their feet on my face. And to my great dismay, though Cousin Egbert took it calmly enough, she took a roll of blankets and made a crude pallet on the ground outside, under a spreading pine tree. I take it she was that sort. The least I could do was to secure two tins of milk from our larder and place them near her cot, in case of some lurking high behind, though I said nothing of this, not wishing to alarm her needlessly. Inside the hut, Cousin Egbert and I partook of a final toddy before retiring. He was unusually thoughtful, and I had difficulty in persuading him to any conversation. Thus, having noted a bare skin before my bed, I asked him if he had killed the animal. No, said he shortly. I wouldn't lie for a bear as small as that. As he was again silent, I made no further approaches to him. From my first sleep I was awakened by a long, booming yell from our guest outside. Cousin Egbert and I reached the door at the same time. I've got it, bellowed the mixer, and we went out to her in the chill night. She sat up with the blankets muffled about her. We start, Bill, in that restaurant, she began. It came to me in a flash. I judge he's got the right ideas, and Waterman and his wife can cook for him. Bully, exclaimed Cousin Egbert. I was thinking he ought to have a gent's furnishing store, on account of his mind running to dress. But you got the best idea. I'll stake him to the rent, she put in. And I'll stake him to the rest, exclaimed Cousin Egbert delightedly. And strange as it may seem, I suddenly saw myself a licensed victualler. I'll call it the United States Grill, I said suddenly, as if by inspiration. Three rousing cheers for the U.S. Grill, shouted Cousin Egbert to the surrounding hills. And repairing to the hut, he brought out hot toddies with which we drank success to the new enterprise. For a half hour, I dare say, we discussed details there in the cold night, not seeing that it was quite preposterously bizarre. Returning to the hut at last, Cousin Egbert declared himself so chilled that he must have another toddy before retiring, and although I was already feeling myself the equal of any American, I consented to join him. Just before retiring again, my attention centered a second time upon the bearskin before my bed, and forgetting that I had already inquired about it, I demanded of him if he had killed the animal. Sure, said he, killed it with one shot, just as it was going to claw me. It was an awful big one. Morning found the three of us engrossed with the new plan, and by the time our guest rode away after luncheon, the thing was well forward, and I had the mixer's order upon her estate agent at Red Gap for admission to the vacant premises. During the remainder of the day, between games of cribbage, Cousin Egbert and I discussed the venture, and it was now that I began to foresee a certain difficulty. How, I asked myself, would the going into trade of Colonel Marmaduke Ruggles be regarded by those who had been his social sponsors in Red Gap? I mean to say, would not Mrs. Effie and the Belknap Jacksons feel that I had played them false? Had I not given them the right to believe that I should continue 
during my stay in their town to be one whom their county families would consider rather a personage it was idle indeed for me to deny that my personality as well as my assumed origin and social position abroad had conferred a sort of prestige upon my sponsors that on my account in short the north side set had been newly armed in its battle with the bohemian set and they relied upon my continued influence how then could i face them with the declaration that i meant to become a tradesman should i be doing a caddish thing i wondered putting the difficulty to cousin egbert he dismissed it impatiently by saying oh shucks in truth i do not believe he comprehended it in the least but then it was that i fell upon my inspiration i might take colonel marmaduke ruggles from the north side set but i would give them another and bigger notable in his place this should be none other than the honourable george whom i would now summon a fortnight before i had received a rather snarky letter from him demanding to know how long i meant to remain in north america and disclosing that he was in a wretched state for want of someone to look after him and he had even hinted that in the event of my continued absence he might himself come out to america and fetch me back his quarter's allowance would i knew be due in a fortnight and my letter would reach him therefore before some adventurer had sold him a system for beating the french games of chance and my letter would be compelling i would make it a summons he could not resist thus when i met the reproachful gaze of the c belknap jacksons and of mrs effie i should be able to tell them i go from you but i leave you a better man in my place with the honourable george augustus vane basingwell next earl of brinstead as their house guest i made no doubt that the north side set would at once prevail as it never had done before the bohemian set losing at once such of its members as really mattered who would of course be sensible of the tremendous social importance of the honourable george yet there came moments in which i would again find myself in no end of a funk foreseeing difficulties of an unsurmountable character at such times cousin egbert strove to cheer me with all sorts of assurances and to divert my mind he took me upon excursions of the roughest sort into the surrounding jungle in search either of fish or ground game after three days of this my park suit became almost a total ruin particularly as to the trousers so that i was glad to borrow a pair of overalls such as cousin egbert wore they were a tidy fit but having resolved not to resist america any longer i donned them without even removing the advertising placard with my ever-lengthening stubble of beard it will be understood that i now appeared as one of their hearty western americans of the roughest type which was almost quite a little odd considering my former principles cousin egbert i need hardly say was immensely pleased with my changed appearance and remarked that i was sure a live wire he also heartened me in the matter of the possible disapproval of c belknap jackson which he had divined was the essential rabbit in my moodiness i admit the guy uses beautiful language he conceded 
and probably he's top-notched in education but just the same he ain't the whole seven pillars of the house of wisdom not by a long shot if he gets fancy with you sock him again you've done it once so far was the worthy fellow from divining the intimate niceties involved in my giving up a social career for trade nor could he properly estimate the importance of my plan to summon the honourable george to red gap merely remarking that the judge was all right and a good mixer and that the boys would give him a swell time our return journey to red gap was made in company with the indian tuttle and the two cow persons hank and buck all of whom professed themselves glad to meet me again and they too were wildly enthusiastic at hearing from cousin egbert of my proposed business venture needless to say they were of a class that would bother itself little with any question of social propriety involved in my entering trade and they were loud in their promises of a future patronage at this i again felt some misgiving for i meant the united states grill to possess an atmosphere of quiet refinement calculated to appeal to particular people that really mattered and yet it was plain that keeping a public-house i must be prepared to entertain agricultural labourers and members of the lower working classes for a time i debated having an ordinary for such as these where they could be shut away from my selector patrons but eventually decided upon a tariff that would be prohibitive to all but desirable people the rougher or bohemian element being required to spring an extra shilling would doubtless seek other places for two days we again filed through mountain gorges of a most awkward character reaching red gap at dusk for this i was rather grateful not only because of my beard and the overalls but on account of a hat of the most shocking description which cousin egbert had pressed upon me when my own deerstalker was lost in a glen i was willing to roughen it in all good fellowship with these worthy americans but i knew that to those who had remarked my careful taste in dress my present appearance would seem almost a little singular i would rather i did not shock them to this extent yet when our animals had been left in their corral or rude enclosure i found it would be ungracious to decline the hospitality of my new friends who wished to drink to the success of the u s grill and so i accompanied them to several public-houses although with the shocking hat pulled well down over my face also as the dinner-hour passed i consented to dine with them at the establishment of a chinese where we sat on high stools at a counter and were served ham and eggs and some of the simpler american foods the meal being over i knew that we ought to cut off home directly but cousin egbert again insisted upon visiting drinking-places and i had no mind to leave him particularly as he was growing more and more bitter in my behalf against mr belknap jackson i had a doubtless absurd fear that he would seek the gentleman out and do him a mischief though for the moment he was merely urging me to do this it would he asserted vastly entertain the indian tuttle 
and the cow-persons if i were to come upon mr belknap jackson and savage him without warning or at least with only a paltry excuse which he seemed proud of having devised you go up to the guy he insisted very polite you understand and ask him what day this is if he says it's tuesday sock him but it is tuesday i said sure he replied that's where the joke comes in <laughs> of course this was the crudest sort of american humour and not to be given a moment's serious thought so i redoubled my efforts to detach him from our honest but noisy friends and presently had the satisfaction of doing so by pleading that i must be up early on the morrow and would also require his assistance at parting to my embarrassment he insisted on leading the group in a cheer what's the matter with ruggles they loudly demanded in unison following the query swiftly with he's all right the he being eloquently emphasized but at last we were away from them and off into the darker avenue to my great relief remembering my garb i might be a living wire as cousin egbert had said but i was keenly aware that his overalls and hat would rather convey the impression that i was what they call in the states a bad person from a bitter creek to my further relief the flowered house was quite dark as we approached and let ourselves in cousin egbert however would enter the drawing-room flood it with light and seat himself in an easy-chair with his feet lifted to a sofa he then raised his voice in a ballad of an infant that had perished rendering it most tearfully the refrain being empty is the cradle baby's gone apprehensive at this i stole softly up the stairs and had but reached the door of my own room when i heard mrs effie below i could fancy the chilling gaze which she fastened upon the singer and i heard her coldly demand where are your feet whereupon the plaintive voice of cousin egbert arose to me just below my legs i mean to say he had taken the thing as a quiz in anatomy rather than as the rebuke it was meant to be as i closed my door i heard him add that he could be pushed just so far end of chapter twelve